Um, good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our Wolfie's Talks today with a very special guest, and I'm, I'm really, really excited to speak to him, um, Andy Schleck. So welcome, Andy. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks. Uh, appreciate for thinking of me. Yes, no, for sure, for sure. Um, before I start, I want to kind of give probably people a bit of a background, what you have achieved. And I, it's always, I think, a nice thing, and I think it puts smile into people when I read them, uh, the achievements. You have been winning the Tour de France in 2010. You were runner-up three times in the white jersey, and there was only Jan Ulrich who achieved the same. You were runner-up in Giro Italia, winner of Liege-Bresson-Liege, national time trial and road cycling champion of Luxembourg. You were part of the CC team, uh, Saxobank, from 2005 to 2010, and uh, in Leopard Trek from 2011 to 2014. And now you own uh, uh, one of the best bike shops, to say, in the world in Luxembourg. So thank you very much. And I think this is just an amazing career you had. Uh, yeah, um, it's not a very long career, I have to be honest. Uh, mm -hmm. I was professional 11 years, um, so basically from... Yeah, 2004 on until yeah, 2015, where I had to finish uh, my career, stop my career to, due to uh, an injury. Uh, unfortunately, a bit too early, but uh, still, you know, I believe I achieved quite a lot uh, in this in, in these years. And you know, when you are a pro athlete, um, especially in cycling, you know, you don't have a 20 year career. You know, you you know, at the stress level, you know, and the the it's always, you know, that high, you know, and that intense, the sport is that intense, you know, that normally a career from a pro cyclist, you know, is between eight and, and 12 years. So I count myself average. People always said that I was too early, that I was young to retire. Um, but, you know, honestly, I started, you know, I was professional with 19 years old. Uh, I hardly had a whole year as another 23, so started very young. So that's why, you know, I had to stop uh, due to an injury when I was, uh, when I crashed in the Tour de France stage number three in London. I had five, four uh, knee operations and, you know, didn't didn't recover 100%. And if you want to be a, a pro athlete on the level I was riding, you need to be 100%, of course. And that's why I decided then uh, to make something different. And, um, yeah, I had a different orientation from 2015 on. Very nice, very nice. You were part of the CSC team, and I thought at the time that was one of the coolest teams ever, and I think it just changed the whole thing. I think the bikes were cool, you had cool jerseys, uh, I think the whole story with these uh, military-style uh, training camps and team-building camps, so you were part of all these team camps with, with Bjarne Ries and so on. How did you, how did you remember that? Um, you know, it was, you know, one of the most... Um... One of the experiences in life, you know, you face different uh, challenges in life. And we always did this survival camp uh, in uh, November, December months, you know, where we were put out in the, in the, in, in the wild, you know, we did it in, in Denmark where it was bloody cold. Uh, we did it in South Africa where it was really hot. We did Tenerife, we did Norway, uh, Denmark again, um, and Lanzarote. So always really different challenges, um, but basically, you know, I, I, it was only five, six days long, but the experience you get out of that, you know, um, the team really melted together, you know, in, in these days. And, you know, it's something which I still, you know, think back today and, and, and you know, definitely something I can just recommend, you know, companies, uh, cycling teams to do that, you know, because you, you go on the races, you go, you go on, on the edge with your team. Um, and in these survival camps, you know, you really need, you really learn to, uh, you, the value of everyone, you really learn that, you know, um, that you take care of your teammates, that, you know, they are longer there for you, you know, you don't necessarily need to be the strongest, but in the survival camp, you need everyone, you know, and um, that was part of the, of the secret why uh, this team was so successful, you know, we came out on the start line, you know, as an army, as a Navy SEALs, you know, and fight it to the race. And, you know, that's why, you know, people loved us uh, and loved the team because we were really united and not just a bunch of, of, of colleagues riding together, but really a family. And that was, you know, definitely a, a big part uh, of that success was the survival camps we did every year. Yeah, and I can really tell you, it really worked from a spectator point of view and from a, from a fan. It was special. Yeah, and I think obviously the mix of riders you had and everything, I think it was a really, really cool uh, cool to view from from the outside 
um, I, I want to take you back at the beginning. You're, you had a household full of uh, accomplished cyclists. I think your grandfather was a cyclist. Your father was an unbelievable cyclist. Uh, did the Tour de France eight times and was uh, support riding uh, for, for Jan Jansen, Louis Ocana. So I think this is quite amazing. So and then obviously your brother, Frank, was in the house. How was this growing up in the Schlecks household? Yeah, um, when I realized that, you know, my, my, I realized quite late that my dad was uh, actually a, a good athlete. Uh, I remember, you know, I went to school and, and, and you know, my dad is not the... I know we lost you. Can you still hear us? Sorry for this. I know that the internet connection is not. Yeah, now you're back. Now you're back. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, we lost you. We lost you with your father uh, that you didn't realize that he was, you went to school and then you realized that he was one of the professional, uh, he was a professional athlete. Yes, I, uh, I went to, to, to school and, you know, I, I somehow, you know, the teacher, they said, oh, this is uh, one of the Schleck's son, uh, is the youngest mm -hmm. one. But I never realized until my auntie one day, she gave me like a, a complete, like a, a cooling box, an old cooling box full of uh, articles. And I started reading to it, you know. And um, yeah, somehow uh, I asked my dad, so what's going on with you? Like, why are you in all these newspapers? <laughs> and uh, yeah, he told me that, that uh, at the time that he think I was too young uh, to see all this, you know, uh, because okay. he wanted me to, you know, choose my own path and don't follow uh, uh, any path he, he led, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely from not, I would not say from that day on, but I believe, you know, I, I had it somewhere in the genes. Um, I rode my bike my whole life, you know, I, I did a lot of different sports and then, you know, I grew into it. I followed the Tour de France uh, and all the other races uh, on TV as, as a teenager. And, you know, the, I had this dream and, 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 and thought for it and realized, you know, then 2004, uh, turn of 2005, uh, I realized, you know, to become a pro, um, but then you're a pro, you know, then uh, basically, you were a good under 23, under a good junior rider, a good under 23 rider, but then you become, you know, a professional, and then you know you start from zero again because if you go to the big guys, you know, and you were the biggest from the youngest, uh, yeah. then you are, you know, you start from from zero again, and yeah, that was the beginning of, I would say, my 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 career. When you were a little boy and you were racing, who was in your head when you were racing? You were playing a character, you had somebody you were looking up to? Um, yeah, while well, we played in the street, you know, there was always someone, uh, someone was Miguel Indurain and the other one was, uh, you know, <laughs> Tony Rominga, you know, or someone else, you know, these characters we saw uh, uh, on, on TV. Um, yeah, so basically, you know, I was in the run. <laughs> okay, very good, very good. Fantastic. Did you have a dream bike when you were a little boy and you couldn't get it because it was kind of unaffordable? Or you had something you were dreaming of to get a bike? Yes, uh, there was a bike. Um, I mean, you know, we are three, uh, three boys. We were three boys at home, you know, so all three of us, we, 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 rode, uh, we rode bikes. Uh, and not just one bike, but we had a road bike, a mountain bike, you know, and my dad, you know, he's not a, uh, we are good off, but he's not a rich, a rich man, you know, so, you know, we, we couldn't really afford, you know, to buy us, uh, us, us the, the nicest stuff and the best bike. But I remember I was dreaming of, uh, of uh, Klein. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Klein, yeah, one of the first bikes who had the straight fork uh, in this pearl white, uh, white color. That was like my dream bike, which... Unfortunately, I, I, I never rode it um, because it was always out of out of our budgets. Um, but yeah, then uh, yeah, once you turn pro, you go from you know the average stuff just to you know the top end. In you know one day, you know you here's your bike, yeah, your shoes, you know carbon soles, carbon frame, carbon wheels for training. Uh, that was quite you know at the time quite uh, already. You know I went home with a smile on the face. A suitcase full of clothes, a suitcase. You know, with two pair of shoes, with all your, your gear, which, you know, just a year before I had, you know, to take care. Where, where do I get this stuff all from, you know? Yes. Uh, carbon wheels for training. That was never like even in, 
you know, I didn't even have carbon wheels for, for racing, you know, but suddenly, you know, everything changed. So that's welcome to the world of the professionals. Fantastic, fantastic. So when you had so many people in the house cycling, so how many bikes you had in the garage and was there space for the car still in the garage or the car was outside and only there was a bike, bike place? There was never a place for a car. There was never a place <laughs> for a car. In our garage, there were, you know, all kinds of bikes uh, just uh, yeah, hanging around and, and standing uh, in corners. And then, you know, um, my older brother, uh, who is nine years older, he was basically, you know, the family mechanic and okay. everything when everything was broken uh, or when my stuff was broken. So it was a quite, an, yeah, uh, quite a cool time at home, yeah. And, and how was it? Okay, so he was the mechanic and you had to make the punctures or fix the punctures or how was this working? Because you're the youngest, so you had any chores you didn't like and they make you do some stuff uh, because you were the youngest? Um, yeah, well, I was the youngest, so, but there's nine years different, you know, so you, you can imagine that, you know, um, Frank is five years and then there's another four years to Steve. Um, you know, there were quite, quite uh, a rough time at home, quite different interests uh, from, you know, from age to age group. Yes. Yeah, um, actually, you know, he really took care, you know, and he was really, you know, going around and then when I was 13, 14 years and, and renting, you know, uh, lending stuff from friends, you know, because I had an important race, which he considered an important race and, 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 and you know, made clear that everything was ready uh, at the start line uh, uh, from the race. So I was uh, lucky because he, my brothers, they liked nice stuff, you know, you know, when there was something important, I just, you know, get the wheels uh, and the stuff of them, which not always was happy, you know, sometimes I went to a start and I had, you know, I had the wrong gears. I couldn't, I was not allowed to start because they were already, they were already allowed, you know, to ride and, you know, I didn't ask them. I just took their wheels and then they made the gear control and, you know, I was disqualified because I was not allowed to go on, on an 11, you know, so, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was uh, in the house of Schlex, there was uh, quite some, quite some tension sometimes, yeah. But do you feel that made you stronger? I, I can imagine, obviously, this this fighting, this constant battle. Uh, is this something you feel like helped you to your career because you had to go through this? Yes, definitely. I mean, one hundred percent. I mean, I was training already with my brothers, you know, and and they didn't want to train because I couldn't follow. So I, you know, I, I said, well, come on. I was, you know, twelve years old. I said, I can, I can do uh, ninety kilometers. Why, why, why shouldn't mm -hmm. I? And and then, you know, uh, I followed them, you know, and I suffered too. <laughs> through these uh, kilometers already quite early, um, which I believe, you know, was a really good school to go through. Not just, you know, for the body, of course, but, you know, just in the, you know, to keep yes. mindset yeah. uh, right. And, you know, these thoughts, uh, you know, went through my whole career, I believe, and still today, yeah. Very good. I have three older brothers, so I know what you what you went through. Yeah, so uh, it was always for me as well somebody to keep up with them and try to challenge myself and and living up uh, to their to their expectations. Good. I think I heard once you said something very nice about your brother. Obviously, you were racing together and super successful. That you were competing a lot with him, but never in a race. So in a race, you were always riding as as one. And I thought that was just a, a beautiful thing to say. So how how was it when you were uh, uh, riding together? Yeah, I mean, Frank and me, that, that's really, you know, a, a unique story, you know, this, um, you know, the connections uh, we had in the races, or, or just I would say in general, which we had had on the bike, you know, was, was, was really unique, and, and it was not fake, you know, we had a lot of uh, time, a lot of people, they said, yeah, they, they like to make a story out of this brotherhood, you know, but it was really true, you know, so we are really competitive still today in everything what we do, uh, you know, if we go, if we go fishing, if we do, you know, if we, go, if we run together, if we do anything we do together, you know, we're really competitive two characters. Um, and we are, you know, both uh, alpha males, you know, um, you know, we like to guide, we like to, we, we like to lead and we like to win. But we trained basically every day together and we had like from young on age we had like this gentleman agreement that you know we go hard and we go to the limit but if we see that someone is weaker we were not allowed to tell and we were not we were never allowed to drop each other in training okay. um, and in the races you know we were you know there was not me going to the start or him going to the start we went to the start you know we went to the signing together we went to the start together and in the race we had this communication um, and between us, which was, um, yeah, first of all, quite cool because there's very few professionals who speak Luxembourgish uh, in the pro peloton. So 
you know, we didn't uh, need an, any microphone. We just could shout at each other and, you know, they were like, what the hell are they talking about now? Uh, new tactics or something. Um, and, you know, when there was the moment where it was getting critical in the race, um, often, you know, um, the decision, you know, we didn't even need to talk about the decision who's going to be uh, the leader for that day or who's going to be the, the strongest. Uh, um, it was just, you know, uh, instantly clear. Yeah. Very nice. Very and nice. we did make it to the podium, you know, together to Paris. So that's really unique as well. Yes. Yes. I think that never, I have, I've, I'm not sure in history if this ever happened that somebody was second and third in the tour, two brothers, I think. No, uh, we were the first. We were the first. I saw you at Eurobike. I can't remember which year it was. It was after, after the Tour de France, the Eurobike. And you were super, super slim. Yeah. And I, I know you're 186 tall, so you're quite, quite tall. And you had 68 kilos. What was, what was your race weight after the, the weight you had after the Tour de France? Yeah, well, 68 was my winter weight. Mm. 68. In the tour, I went down to 66, 65 uh, after the tour. Um, but yeah, that's not, I don't recommend anyone to do that. Um, and I mean, you know, it's not out of, it's not out of any, you know, uh, beauty contest. Um, I did that and it was also, I didn't do any, any diet, you know, this was just natural for me. I mean, you know, you train, you know, 30, 35,000 kilometer a year plus all the calories you burn, you know, in the race, um, you know, and then you have sprinters who are, of course, a little bit more heavier, but um, I basically was, you know, uh, yeah, skinny uh, climber and, you know, it was not out of any beauty uh, contest. Uh, uh, I wasn't that weight. It was just, you know, to perform and, and, and you know, to, to climb better the hills. Very good. Something technical. I saw that you're riding 172.5 cranks. Is this true? Yes, okay. always and did. Because you were quite tall, and, and at that time it was considered a longer crank was better. I think now today it's a bit of a trend to go shorter. But how did you discover a shorter crank like that? Well, um, I did try uh, to go 175, um, but you know we did uh, we did we did tests, you know, in the climbs, of course, you know. So um, we did this. We had a, a power meter. Um, and we did set and set, you know, on a, on a 20 minutes climb, you know, to do a max test. And we did the same test, you know, with, with, with different uh, gears, even wheels. Or, or So we always had this idea, you know, that, okay, lighter wheels, the faster you on top, but your watts, you know, your power should not change. You know, it doesn't matter which wheels you have. And I just could see that uh, with uh, 175, um, long cranks, I could not develop the same power uh, than I did with 172.5. That's why also uh, not even in time trials, I changed crank lengths. You have a lot of riders in, in time trials, they go you know longer in the cranks, they go to 175. Um, for me, it was not an option because you know, simply if, if you know, I can develop the same, the same power output, there was there's no, no need to change anything. And the one, yeah, 75, 72.5 seemed working well for me. Mm -hmm. Interesting, because today is a bit of a trend. We see a trend of going shorter cranks because it obviously allows a little bit uh, improvements when it comes to bike fitting and so on. But that is quite an interesting fact because at that time it wasn't as popular. I, I want to. Can you take us back to the Tour de France? Yeah, this is this is for me something I, I remember. And I came 2002 to Dubai. And when you started racing, this was kind of the midst of, of our shop being developed. We watched the Tour de France. We introduced people to the sport. And then seeing you racing up these mountains in the Tour was for me always something special. Yeah, it always felt like you were always on the, on the attack. You were always trying to, to put the race, take it in your hands. You were not waiting for anyone. You were pushing, pushing forward. So obviously 2009, 2010, 2011 were, were great success stories for you. Uh, two times runner-up, one time you won the, won the race. So what are the memories you have from the tours? Yeah, you know, for me, um, it might take a while, my answer, huh? because I need to start uh, from the beginning, because this is a little bit the difference. Uh, I believe, you know, I um, I was different compared to other riders. For me, you know, um, I have two brains, you know, it's one up here and it's one in the stomach, you know. So the one up there is, you know, to see where the road goes, and the one in the stomach is the one who tells you, you know, now you attack and now you go. Huh? So I go to the race and there was for me never a motive, like 
my contract was never on motivation, you know. Um, when I was, you know, 19 years old, I, I went to the first race. I didn't, I didn't care about my paycheck, you know, and it, it never really laid on, you know, when I became good and, you know, I had good, I, I had good, good salaries and good contracts. Um, you know, still the passion was always there, like when you are a young rider, you know, when you're young, when I was a young rider, I just want to finish the race to show that I can finish the race. I just want to be in front to, to you know, to get fame, to get, you know, show my ego. And, you know, this part always was there during my career. So, you know, when you have this in, when you have this in, in yourself, in a race, in a critical situation, you know, you need to go with the feeling, you know, because it's feeling who it was my feeling who brought me there, uh, you know, to this to these points where I was able to 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 decide the race, where I was able to you know to drop others, where I was able to to you know put pain in others' uh, lungs and, and legs, you know. So that's why, you know, you need to have the passion, you know, and everyone you know have the passion to ride, and you see different riders in the peloton, you see these riders, you know, they are really calculated. You know, they really, you know, they perform every every two years, you know, when they need to need to get the new contract, you know, suddenly they perform again and they sign again a, a good three years deals. But you also have the other riders, like perfect example is uh, Valverde, you know, yeah. he's out there, he's, you know, running with, with, with the gut feeling, you know, and, 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 you know, I think that's the beauty of cycling. And I, I had that always, you know, it didn't matter, you know, what my paycheck was in the end of the year. Um, because for me, you know, there was no 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 value on the victory of a, a stage in the Tour de France. For me, that was, you know, that need to be a passion. And, you know, basically that's how I wrote my whole career, you know. Um, I never thought about, you know, what is what is if I lose, you know. But because if I lose, you know, it was my feeling who told me, now you go. It was my stomach who told me, now you try it. And, you know, if, I mean, many times I've failed, you know, people always only remember uh, the victories or the, the glory moments, but you know, I lost more races than I won. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter, you yes. know. Yes, no, very good. I like that a lot. Yeah, very good. Who was your biggest rival in the races, and where did you take the biggest motivation from when you were racing? Um, my biggest rival was, of course, Alberto Contador. All the time, I mean. Um, and I'm really glad he was there. Um, uh, without sounding arrogant, or I don't want to get a, a wrong vision out of me, but you know, if Alberto would not have been there, I would have won easily three Tour de Frances. Uh -huh. Because there was only me and him, you know, at the time. Yeah. Now, now I won only one, he won the other one. But, you know, I'm, I'm still really glad he was there because the story would have not been the same, you know. People remember, you know, the epic moments where we when we battled in the climbs, and and so does he, you know. But uh, his victories would not have been the same, you know, if I was not there, you know, to to kick his ass uh, once in a while uh, up the hills and 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 stress him, you know. And that's what you know makes uh, epic moments in cycling. That's a rivalry with with, with someone and. Um, you know, this is actually only him I see who was really there in the important races was the big rival uh, for me. But I'm really glad he was there. You have a good relation with him? Do you do you meet sometimes? Um, it goes like up okay. and down. Um, during the career, you know, uh, mm. you know, you fight each other, you hurt each other, you know, you, you, know, you try to take advantage, uh, you know, if someone have a bad day. Um, so and again, you know, we are two, we were two leaders, and you know, we are two very, very strong characters. So we will never be, you know, the best buddies. Um, that, that just doesn't go uh, go together. But actually, um, we had a time where we didn't like had any contact anymore, um, out of different reasons. But like last year, uh, mid November, uh, we met up in, in in Shanghai because we had an event there uh, together. And it was the first time where we sat together and drank a beer. Um, and it was really, really joyful. You know, we really uh, enjoyed ourselves and we talked about uh, uh, these old times. In the beginning, it was still, you know, a bit cold, uh, the, the relation. But then, you know, um, we went basically both home uh, after that, that trip and, you know, put everything down on equal again. And yeah, it was a good, it was good. But I, we are not the best friends, you know, and we will never be the best buddies, but that doesn't need to be. Uh, I respect him a lot and he does respect me a lot. And, and, and you know, that's the most important. Okay. From a spectator point of view, I have to tell you, it was always amazing to see the battles you had and going 
I remember obviously the time when, when there was an issue with the technical side of the chain and then uh, you, you tried to catch up again and then there was the next day Tomale. I think the weather was really bad and, and you came together to the top and I, I think you just clapped him on his, on his back and I thought that was actually quite a nice, a nice moment when you felt like after that day before where, where we didn't really understand what was the situation and then the next day I think it, it seemed to be like a really, really fair uh, competition between the both of you. Yeah, um, I mean that that that, that chain gate incident was, of course, um, yeah. Uh, he 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 didn't really he, he didn't he didn't do a fair play uh, that day. I mean, you don't you don't you don't do that. Um, and for me, you know, I was really angry after that stage. And then the next day, you know, all the spectators on the side of the road they were just booing at him and 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 and, and kind of shouting at him, and they were all on my side. Um, of the game, and I, I, I didn't really, I didn't really like that. Um, but I didn't, I didn't do anything for him until he came to me and was at least honest with me. Because in the beginning, he told me that he didn't see me, that he didn't mm -hmm. saw that my my, my chain dropped. So uh, I said, well, uh, at least you can, you know. I don't mind if you attack when I drop my chain, but at least tell it to me in my face. So after that stage, um, he said, hey, listen, Andy, it is a stress moment yesterday. I uh, attacked because I wanted to take the yellow jersey. Of course, I saw that your chain dropped. And for me, it was my opportunity to take the yellow jersey. And that was fine with me. So that evening, I took, uh, I took, my, my, uh, I took my guts and I went to the uh, French national TV and Eurosport for a small press meeting. And I pleased uh, all the spectators to uh, return to normal that we have spoken and uh, I don't think you know it's uh, such a beautiful sport we shouldn't uh, boo to anyone uh, and also not to him and not to me and that we are clear and that was uh, actually uh, really much appreciated by him and also really much appreciated by the people and you know it was okay the day after uh, the race was on again without any booing or, or, or yelling at him. Mm -hmm. Is there one special day or one special mountain you have, which you said this was always a special mountain for me? I, I really enjoyed going up that mountain. No, you never enjoy going up the mountain uh, at the speed we go. Um, but I did have, I, I do have one favorite mountain, which is the Morvan II um, in France. You know, it's not in the Alps, it's on the Pyrenees, it's basically in the middle of nowhere. It's bloody hard, 18 kilometers, and I loved doing the climb in the races because it suits me perfectly and I just believe you know it's uh, one of the hardest climbs and why do I love it because I had really good legs you know when I went up uh, I, I went up after my career one more time uh, one and a half year back from now with different feelings um, I made it to the top of course but I was depressed because I was like almost one hour slower than I was <laughs> six years ago um, but I stopped in the middle, you know, and we in the group, but I just realized then how hard this climb is. You know, when you're a pro, you go into a, to a climb and, you know, you are full of adrenaline, especially when it's a finishing climb. You are full of adrenaline and, and you know, basically you, you, you know, you, you, you die in these climbs, you know, and, and, and you are ready to die in the climbs. And when you go up now, I have a big lack of motivation you know, to make it to, to the top of these mountains again. Is it, obviously, it's unbelievable for, for somebody watching in TV, seeing the spectators lining up these mountains. How is it when you, when you see today uh, how, how this works in, in cycling? You, you wish um, you would have gone, gone back there in time and, and be successful again? Or, or how was it too stressful for you when these people were screaming in your, in your ears? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, this is something uh, I missed in the beginning of, 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 my, of my retirement. Um, yeah. You know, um, honestly speaking, you know, this is a rough time, you know, when you, you stop your professional career from, you know, being a, being a star, being a top athlete, you know, being respected for your performance. Somehow you develop your, your identity is, is your bike, you know, your identity. Um, you know, this isn't a normal thing. You know, you don't, you're not Andy Schleck, you know, the guy who lives in, you know, in, in the apartment building or, or in that house, you know, you are Andy Schleck the cyclist. So this, your career, your your fame gives you a an, an, an whole different identity, and you, you you know you get used to that. You know you get used to that really quickly. Never lost you again. 
Sorry, we are live. I think my internet, I hope you can, hope it's coming back. Sorry for that. I still have the connection. Sorry for you, for this guys. Andy, can you hear us? Okay, now. Now, okay, now we have the technician back. Very good. We have you back. Okay, perfect. So what did you heard last? <laughs> Sorry for that. Just talking about obviously the spectators and how it was to see uh, going up these climbs um, and then end of your career that you felt like it was difficult to, to, yeah, because cycling was your life and suddenly this was not there anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I mean, you know, when you are a, a famous athlete uh, and you compete, you know, in these races and, and you are basically, you are a star. Um, you know, you create your identity, you know, it, it, it's you as a bike rider, you know, you get the yellow jersey on um, and people like you or you think people like you, but what you don't realize, the yellow jersey is just a label they put on your shoulder, you know, it changes sometimes every day, it changes every year and certainly, you know, it changes every every decade. Huh? So um, you need to be careful when you're an athlete that, you know, you, you don't, you should not identify yourself too much with that because I was still the same the year after when I didn't wear the yellow jersey anymore. But mm. people, you know, had the respect of me because I had this label uh, yellow on, on my shoulders. And, you know, when I retired, I had nothing. I thought I had nothing anymore because I had no professional contract anymore. Uh, I had no pants anymore. I had no fame anymore. So in the beginning, you really needed time, you know, to get used to it. And that was also when I realized, hey, uh, these people, you know, um, cheering at me, you know, sometimes this private jet I had and the private driver from the airport to the hotel, uh, that was never meant for me. That was meant for the guy with the yellow jersey. And, you know, when I realized that, you know, I started to, you know, waking, I woke up basically and said, hey, actually, you know, I'm alive, I'm healthy, I'm good off, I had a nice career. And, you know, now I do something different and, and you know, came back into life. I came back into life. I mean, I was always good. I was never like uh, in any, in any, in any, in any trouble. But that's when I started, you know, um, planning a business and what can I do from now on and, and, and rediscovered myself, basically. Mm -hmm. But your passion for cycling obviously led you as well then to make the decision to open up a bicycle shop in 2016. So how long did it take to make this ideas come come to reality that was, that was quite quickly uh, quick i mean you know um after my career i only realized how, how much i love this sport um today i'm a big fan you know i still you know work actively in the tour de france and and you know host a lot of events um uh, travel around the world but it's always somehow related to not always but most of the time somehow related to cycling um, but the plans for the shop were there quite quickly. I want to make a unique bike shop. I want to, you know, not just be, you know, a, a sales point. Uh, I wanted to be, you know, a real meeting point for cyclists where we, where we live bike, where we ride bike, where we sell bike, where we talk bike. And yeah, so I put everything on paper. It took me, you know, something more than three, four months. Uh, business plan, of course, is important. Um, but for me, it was more important, you know, what someone who loves cycling and loves riding a bike what does he want to see when he comes into a shop what does he want to have which conversation which material and of course you know which uh, what, what's the atmosphere so i tried my best um i'm sitting now here we have a small museum where i have uh, old bikes olympic bikes for me to the france bikes uh to the france bikes for me jerseys from my teammates and yeah i believe you know um it's a, quite a success so far. Very nice. Well done. Well done. So, um, do you think it's harder to run a bicycle shop or win the Tour de France? It's a difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, running a bike shop, you know, um, 
it's a tough business. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough business. You need to make decisions. It's, it's actually, you know, really similar. You know, I apply all my rules today, you know, with my staff with, 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 in the shop, the same rules, you know, than I applied, you know, in my team, you know, to go into the Tour de France, you know, the respect, the commitment, you know, the, the you know, we have bad days, we have good periods, we have bad periods. And, you know, we go through together as a team. Um, so the rules are the same, but yeah, I got to disappoint you, but, you know, doing it to the friends, you know, it's, it's a war. Huh? Yeah. You know, you wake up in the morning with a headache and, and, you know, you go to bed with a headache and, and, you know, the, the, the stress, but then again, um, I would still say uh, doing a Tour de France, you know, is, is harder than running a bike shop. But also, you know, there's only one Tour de France and there's a million bike shops all over the world. So let's compare it. So you take your team as well for team camps? You do team building events? You take them to Denmark and set them out in the middle of the winter? Uh, no, unfortunately not. But we do... We do it on a, on a different basis, you know. Um, so for me, you know, um, it's really, I mean, I'm the boss, of course, um, and I decide the decisions, but um, I really do apply the same rules as, as a pro site, uh, same than I, than I did in the team, you know. So I respect my staff, you know. I'm not, sometimes I take the broom, you know, um, when they are busy, you know, and I clean the kitchen, you know, and I do all these kinds of stuff um, because, you know, I... You know, I want to. I want to leave an impact uh, on them huh? because if they see me doing it, you know, maybe they they follow uh, in in the future. You know, and they say, "Hey, he's cool." You know, he takes the broom and he takes the vacuum cleaner and and vacuum cleans uh, uh, the shop. Um, but the respect that the commitment, you know, is the most important for me. You know, because if they come here in the morning, uh, you know, and 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 we work, you know, every day eight or nine or ten hours together, you know. Um, it's important that they come and they feel comfortable. You know, that's the most important because I think if you go, if, if they come here and they say, okay, we go to our colleagues to do our eight hour job and at eight, uh, at six in the evening, you know, the pen just falls down and they exit the door. You know, that's not a good atmosphere, you know, but if they come now and they say, okay, we go to Andy because he's our boss, but he's also our friend, you know, and, and, and the colleagues, the, you know, it's a family, you know, we eat uh, almost every lunch together. Uh, you know, once in a week, you know, after the shop, you know, we close the doors and we laugh for another hour and have a, have a drink together and, and sit together. And that's what I believe, you know, creates uh, a good atmosphere. And um, our clientele feels that, you know, yes. they, like, they like to be here, you know, they like to get served by, by, by one of us because, you know, we are, we are cool guys and we, we, you know, we have a good atmosphere and we are friends, you know, even there's always one who's the boss and maybe the one is, is, is the shop manager and the other one is a mechanic, but we are one team and we are one and, 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 and we are a bunch of, of friends and the clientele definitely, you know, feels that and that's good for business. Very good. I like that. I think that's the attitude of a champion. Like you've become a Tour de France champion and I think you've become one of the the best shops in the world and i think that's a good good attitude yeah fantastic but i do wolfie yes we met in november and i yes. asked you a lot of questions you know yes what do you think about this what do you think about that you know so i'm always open you know to hear new ideas and different ideas and i'm willing to share as well uh, so you know i think that's also important that um yes. like a cyclist but also now as a young entrepreneur um you know that you you know don't shut your eyes like a, a horse who have the the, the 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 eye sheets on that you listen and be aware you know because i'm not the only one yes so the moment we're offline we can trade some uh, business secrets or okay. when you holiday or i make it maybe to luxembourg uh, i i have a i have a, a date set in my eyes for the um, um the event you're doing let me check this is the grand fondo grand, andy schleck grand fondo at 2021 and 29 of may so maybe that's a something i should aim for i need to train and then we can go ride our bikes. It's how many how many hours we're going to sit on the bike to ride, and we can talk about business secrets. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, due to the uh, COVID nineteen situation, we had to uh, cancel it for this year. Um, it's the Schleckkantfondo, so it's uh, actually my brother Frank's organization, but we do it together. We um, basically, yeah, do our all training routes. Um, it's a tough one, you know. It, it's not an easy fondo. It, it, it's a tough one, you know. It's 
a lot of uh, altitude meters. You have a 90 kilometer loop and a 160. Wolfie, you're going to do the 160 with me. Um, I guide you to the beautiful uh, countryside, you know, of, of, of the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg, and we will enjoy, have fun. And uh, I can guarantee you a unique, beautiful experience. Um, we started the first year with 1,500 participants. Last year was the third edition. We were full booked with 4,000 subscribers. This year is nothing but 2021. The date is there. So um, if you don't sign up, I will put the back number on site now tonight for you, uh, 2021. Uh, Very good. Now we can for sure share something in our social media that people can get involved in this. And I, I know as well, you're involved in a lot of other events. Um, there's a, a tour president, you're the president of the Skoda Tour of Luxembourg Tour 2020, which is happening as well this year in September, 16 to 19. So um, what, what's happening there? Yeah, um, well, that's a, a pro race. Huh? So it's just uh, below the world tour. It's uh, the pro series. So, you know, with, uh, with, with the big teams, um, it's a race. It's now uh, the 80th edition. Huh? So uh, it gets a big, big history. Um, I took the presidency three years ago and try, you know, to make it uh, a little bit a step up, you know, in the ranking, which uh, I achieved because this year we are officially, you know, in, in the pro series live broadcasted on, on, on Eurosport and uh, different other channels. So basically it's uh, like the Tour de France, but just through Luxembourg um, with 20 teams, uh, probably between, you know, six and eight uh, World Tour teams. Um, and yeah, the main uh, sponsor of the event is Skoda. That's why it's uh, Skoda Tour of Luxembourg. And this is a big challenge for me, you know, to keep that race alive. And um, we are a small organization. We are a non-profitable uh, uh, organization, um, you know, but it's a race I watched always from a kid on. So I took over the race three years ago to, you know, keep it alive and make it make it big again. Fantastic. Yeah, looking forward to see it in Europe. But I think everybody is obviously waiting that the season starts again or the uh, restart of the season to see all the professionals uh, to get you all out again. Uh, and you have a ladies team. We met them in Dubai. Uh, we had this year the first UCI official uh, racing team for, for lady or racing league. Um, so your team was there as well. So you're involved as well to support female cycling. Um, yes, a lot. Uh, when I opened the shop, this was one of my main topics. Um, this uh, latest team is a quite a funny story because it started out of an out of an idea, you know, because we said, okay, we need to do something, you know, to get the ladies better uh, involved in, in cycling. You know? So we created actually, we have every Saturday cappuccino, right? So we said, okay, we found out that sometimes, you know, on open roads, uh, girls don't want to ride with men right? because the girls, uh, they want to ride with girls. We found that quite quick. So we did, uh, you know, rides, uh, women's only. We do, we did workshops, you know, in the evening uh, where we only invite, uh, where only uh, women were allowed. Huh? So to create a little bit of different, um, a drift, different community to, to the normal men cycling uh, community and actually quite successful. Huh? So uh, then we started with, the, we had a cappuccino ride uh, every Saturday. Um, so we started doing once a month a latte ride, uh, which we call the latte ride, which was only uh, women riding uh, with women. And uh, yeah, out of that idea, we said, why don't we try to make a small team in order, you know, to get more awareness just in Luxembourg, you know, a, a women's team. So we sponsored a, a small women's team out of that small team. You know, it, it, it's still not a big team. But, you know, we have now international riders uh, riding there and they compete on the international level. Um, and yeah, they have fun. And basically, in the beginning, the idea was just to get where more awareness for our women's uh, women's community. But uh, the team had a lot of success. Uh, so you know, other riders from we have riders from Sweden, from Finland, who want to ride for that team. And yeah, today, I mean, they are all on hold, uh, like the whole uh, season. But this is something. Uh, actually started already four years ago the idea of that team and uh, since last year um, it's actually a UCI team. Very good, fantastic. We have obviously people can send in questions as well, we, we're monitoring this. So one question we got here is are you riding with the women on the cappuccino ride? They want to ride with you to take some pictures with Andy? 
Uh, no, but when we do the workshops or after they finish their rides, uh, they all welcome. They all get, you know, a drink or a, a, a coffee. Then I'm there. No, but I don't ride with them. Um, this is women's only. Um, so we have actually, you know, uh, women's guides, you know, who, who guide them, you know, who, who make the loop. The loop is fixed. You can see it on Strava, and then uh, they ride together, you know. And it's really, really good because we have a lot of, a lot of people who came in yeah we might like to ride our bike but we are scared alone they said no problem often women yeah sometimes more scared so i said no worries come to the workshop you know we teach you you know the basics uh, this is all for free the workshops are all for free we teach you the basics about the bikes about the pedal what's important and then you know maybe you start with with, with the 30 kilometer uh, ride with the latte and then very quickly you improve in cycling you know you know and suddenly you know they become fascinated and suddenly you know they you really join that community and, 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 and love it, yeah. I like the idea that you that you obviously are so interested in to get people on, on the right bikes. You're trying to do so much for the community. <laughs> really love. I think that's a great idea. And I think that's a, a really a part of the success we have felt here as well to, to organize the rides and to do something for the community, I think is very, very helpful. Is there something on your bucket list you still want to achieve? Because obviously you're fairly, or you're quite a competitive person. Is there something you want to, as a person or as a sports person, you want to achieve? Well, honestly, I, I not 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 really as an athlete. I mean, I'm not an athlete anymore. You know, I, I I ride my bike. I'm still, you know, I don't have the condition anymore, but I still have the power. You know, so um, you know, with two weeks of training, uh, Wolfie, not even you will drop me. Um, so I in Dubai, you know, and honestly, I was very, very impressed. Yeah, because obviously the group is, is not a world tour race, but I think they started very quickly. And I think it looked really easy for you to get through the group. And, and, and I, I hardly looked and you were gone and you were at the front and you were riding. And, and obviously this, this ride starts quickly. And I, I can imagine everybody wants to show off his form when they have a, a Tour de France champion with them. So you are still in good condition. Yeah, I felt I was really impressed. Yeah, um, I had a good go uh, the months before, so I was riding uh, uh, quite a lot uh, the months before, and then you know, but it's flat. You know, I I'm not 68 kilos anymore or 66 kilos anymore. Um, you know, I I don't enjoy the climbs anymore, but I like to ride you know fast on the flat. So this was actually a perfect race for me. Um, but now, sportive wise, uh, I have no more you know intention of doing any. Ironmans or, or, or marathons, not now, it might change. I mean, you know, you have, an, you have a goal and, and, you know, ideas change over time and, and that's fine. But for now, not really. Um, on the personal side, I have a lot of things I like to achieve. Uh, I mean, I mentioned I'm a young entrepreneur. I believe, you know, I'm, I'm very awake, um, you know, what's going on out there. So, you know, there's still some, some stuff I like to do. Uh, and I'm only 30. I'm only turning 35 in in in, in June, so there's, there's still time. Maybe this is actually good that you stopped your career a little earlier, and you still had the energy left in you, and and now you have a successful business where maybe others uh, they they go a few years longer, and then maybe it's difficult. They yeah, I think that the options are maybe not as much. You still have some some good years left to really create your business and everything. I think that's a good. Uh, maybe it was a good move looking back. Yeah, I mean sometimes in life, you know, you you. You know something happened and you know you just don't see you know what's going on but then looking backwards you you know you can you can connect the you can connect you know some some dots and you know now i think when you are 30 you know when you you know want to start a new business it's different when when, when you are 40 and you want to start a new, mm -hmm. new business when you are 40 you know it's not you're not old of course but you, you might not have you know the willpower anymore you know to to you know invest your money in something which is of course you know which can fail I mean, um i'm always talking that i have a successful business but you know uh, honestly speaking it's a tough it's a tough business you know and, and you know how it is when you start a new business and, and you know I, I i didn't start small i started big you know it takes a few time huh? it takes a few years you know to get to get the to get the the the, the machine rolling um um, yeah, but uh, that, that's how it is, you know, but that's also what, what, what makes it exciting. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Is there a famous person, if you had one day where you could change your life and be that famous person or any person uh, and you could, you could live their life for a day, is there someone you would pick? Yeah, I, I would like to be Wolfie for one day. <laughs> okay, we can do that. We can, okay. <laughs> we can uh, sit next to me one day. <laughs> very good. Thank you very much. Uh, no, honestly, not, not really. I mean, 
no, not really. No, not really. I, I, I don't. I mean, yeah, maybe I want to be. I don't know. I would like to know the feeling. You know, what when is when you are a top uh, guitar player on stage with you know with uh, fifty thousand people uh, cheering at you? But I don't know. I don't. I never ask myself that question, honestly. Very good. And music is music something important? What's on your playlist? What's on your Spotify playlist? Oh, basically, I'm really, really open-minded there. You know, I listen. Um, I do love uh, concerts because my whole career I never went to to concerts or, or, or anything or music festivals. So I only really discovered that uh, after my career through my wife, um, because she's really into music. And actually, you know, um, I go to different uh, music festivals uh, uh, all over the world. Um, the last three years, and I love it. But on the playlist, there's basically, you know, uh, Spotify uh, top hits, uh, you know, uh, today or or best uh, best hits today, and then I listen through them. Some I like, some I don't. Uh, yeah. Very good, fantastic. If you had a time machine, would you go forward to see what's bringing, what the future will bring to you, or would you go back uh, to maybe change something or relive something again? Where, where, which direction would you go? I would, out of curiosity, I probably would go forward mm -hmm. to see, you know, if I'm bankrupt in 10 years, uh, <laughs> maybe stop, you know, stop, close the shop tomorrow. Um, looking backwards, I mean, I did some mistakes, but why do I did mistakes? You know, because I had this gut feeling who led me to do it. You know, if you come to crossing, you go left or right uh, and you go left, there's something who tells you, you know, that you sh should go left. So, um no, I don't have uh, real regrets. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here today. I'm healthy. Uh, I didn't do big mistakes. I did maybe small mistakes, but they are all, you know, forget and, and, and I'm over it. Um, and like I just mentioned, I believe, you know, that you do mistakes and out of mistakes, you know, it's always, you know, something if one door closes, another opens and the mistakes, you know, makes you, you know, teach you to not do them anymore. Very good. I have one question. Somebody said, what's the best concert you ever visited? What's something you really remember? Um, last year, and I traveled to uh, Los Angeles and went to the um, Coachella uh, Music Festival Yes. with my wife, which was an amazing experience. And basically, you know, standing there in the desert, you know, and just, you know, that was really, really cool. You know, this was something uh, when I think back, back, I get goosebumps, you know, it was, uh, you know, such a nice uh, scenery and, uh, you know, that was uh, basically the final song, the final concert was Adriana Grande. Not that I like her, but it was just like, you know, she was the, the, the head, the head, uh, the head concert. Yeah. And, you know, it's just this, you know, 300,000 people, you know, uh, looking in one direction and, and applauding, you know, for one person. Yeah. On yeah, that was really, really special and really cool to see, you know, even I'm not a big fan of her music, but I, I, I love that one. Did people recognize you? Somebody noticed Andy Schleck or you had a, you had where you were dressed up? Because Coachella is obviously as well kind of a, a hippie style festival. Yeah, not really. Um, that's Burning Man. That I don't go because the Burning Man. That's like a really, really hippie. Coachella is 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 hip hop. Um, no, but you know, I'm was just a small cyclist. You know, I'm I'm not any you know musician, star, or or movie actors. Um, but no, no one, no one realized me. Only the people who knew I was coming. You know, and took me a little bit backstage and VIP area and presented them. And then suddenly people start to realize. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's not a real cycling uh, world uh, at Coachella. It's a music world. You know. Very good. I was at Rammstein um, last year, and it was really cool. Yeah. So if you if you if you like that kind of music, but this this show and everything, and and the power of music, it was just unbelievable. So that was a it was one of the cool concerts. You were in Luxembourg last year. Again. You were in Luxembourg last year. Okay. And is is this your kind of music or not? Uh, I mean. I, I, I don't mind it uh, if I would have been here, but I was somewhere in, 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 in some part of the world at that point. But um, I heard that uh, I would have gone, uh, I would have gone there, but I heard it was actually a really amazing show to do. Huh? Yes. Even yes. if you don't like the music, you know, you got to be, you, they blow you away. Literally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, literally, literally. Uh -huh. 
Do you have a do you have a special skill outside obviously cycling? Do you have a party trick where you impress people, or is being a Tour de France winner enough? Um, no, I believe you know um, special special skill. Uh, I, can do, <laughs> I can do a wheelie on the road bike. Okay, we can't see this now. I thought you can show something. <laughs> no, I'm a good Isha man, you know, but I'm, for the rest, I have no real uh, other, you know, magic trick or something. <laughs> I, can fascinate, I can fascinate my, 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 my kids, you know, because I tell them I take Smarties out of their ears. Okay. <laughs> so I just go behind with the Smarties and I pull them out and I said, look, you want you. Very good, fantastic. Um, I have a few sentences prepared and I would like you to finish them. Yeah. Um, the best day of my career was a uh, podium with my brother in Paris. Yeah. The hardest day of my career was the day of the uh, press conference uh, where I had to tell the cycling world, the world that I, I retire. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to the end of the confinement that you know the world gets goes back to normal again i can ride i, I can ride my bike faster than than you than you yeah that's true <laughs> that's true <laughs> okay i wish i had uh i wish i had well, I cannot answer that. What do I wish myself? Well, this is nice. You know what I mean? I, I think we can leave it at that. You know what I mean? I think this is a fantastic. If you don't have a wish, you just have in your head. I think that's that's really cool. No, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm full of wishes, but I wish I had. I mean, there's nothing I would like to. No, I that's mean, good. Not, yeah, let's leave it like that. Yes, no, very nice. Yeah. And I really love it when? I really love it when it's sunshine and it's Sunday morning and I can take my bike and leave my kids at home and just, you know, go out and, and enjoy, uh, enjoy the nature and, and riding my bike. Nice. Nice. Who do you think is the biggest cyclist of all times? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, everybody probably says Eddie Merckx. This is also what I believe, I would say Eddie Max, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Who do you think is the biggest upcoming talent at the moment in cycling? Um, for me, it's uh, Mathieu van der Poel, um, because yeah, he got like, amazing skills. He got a style on the bike, which is really unique, which I haven't seen before at, <laughs> at anyone. Um, just, you know, he's, he, he looks to me and I believe I have a really, really good eye to see talents. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're just sitting on the bike, uh, standing on the start line, I can, I can see the class uh, that guy have, you know, so um, he's maybe the next Eddie Max. And who do you think will win the Tour de France in 2020? Yeah, um, it's difficult to say, you know, it, it's going to be a really... Uh, it's going to be a really strange tour, uh, the 2020 tour, because, you know, there are countries people can train outside. France, they couldn't train uh, outside. Mm -hmm. They were really locked down, you know, and, and you know, still the uh, turbo trainer and, and Swift and Woosh and Full Gas and all these apps are good, you know, but it doesn't really replace the real world out there, you know. Um, you don't get the feeling on the bike than, than when you're riding on the road. Um, so um, I would say, you know, um, Egan Bernal looks really good to me. Mm -hmm. He got the right mindset and, you know, he was there uh, last year and, you know, he lives far away where they can train. And mm -hmm. he spent a lot of time now on the, in, 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 in Colombia, you know, on the altitude, uh, which is also, you know, uh, a, a big benefit. So, you know, all these factors coming together, I believe he, he is the man to beat. Um, Chris Froome, you know, it's started the season um, in Dubai. First and last race, unfortunately for him so far, um, which gives him maybe a little bit more time to recover. But the gap is really, really long from his, you know, the, the, gap, mm -hmm. the gap was already long from where he, he crashed 
to the first race, a long way to recover. He obviously wasn't feeling very well uh, in, in Dubai, which is, you know, more than normal, more than normal. But now again, you know, it's six months, break. you know, it's, you gotta be, you gotta be really, really, really strong-minded, you know, to keep on pushing yourself through that time. Um, on the other hand, it gives him maybe a little bit more time to recover, um, but I don't see him uh, ready in, in the tour. Garen Thomas is uh, busting nuts uh, on Swift doing 300 Ks, uh, but again, I don't think it uh, replaces the real training. So um, my favorite for 2020 is uh, Egan Bernard. Egan Bernard, very good. Fantastic. Some quick ones as well. Socks, you wear long or short socks? On the bike or? On the bike. Long. Shami cream, yes or no? No. Shaving your legs? Yes, I need to shave my legs. I don't. If, if I don't shave my legs, I'm looking in the shower. I'm like, this is these are not my legs. <laughs> this is wrong. Yeah, very good. <laughs> um, <So> this guy. <laughs> and if you race, you race with a power meter, or do you ride with a power meter, or you just ride by feeling? Now today? Yes. No, 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 no power meter. No, no, no. That's over and out. Okay, so you just go go for a ride, enjoy, and go by feeling. I go by feeling and most of the time, you know, when I go, I, I, I don't write for two weeks and then I go, you know, with a group who writes basically every day. So, uh, you know, they are my feeling then, you know, because I need to follow them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you write a book of your career and a memoirs, what will be the title of the, of the book? Oh, that's a, that's a good question because I was thinking about it. Um, you know, I, I had a uh, few opportunities to write a book. Um, and I didn't do it because I believe I have a really unique story to tell. And since I do a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, private events uh, where, you know, companies uh, book me to do motivation speeches and, and I like to, you know, just tell my story, not, not write it in a book, but I was thinking, you know, I had a joyful career. I had a lot of, you know, really a lot of fun, you know, with my teammates, you know, it can be in a hotel room, it can be out training, you know, it can, when we were, you know, in a survivor camp together, you know. So I was thinking, why don't make a book, you know, and just tell the funny stories in my career with my teammates in the peloton, in the Tour de France and on and off the side, you know, just the funny stories, you know, and, and, and anecdotes. So probably it would be Andy's world or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Very good. But no one have done that. No one have done that yet. What's a, what's a fun story coming to mind right now? Give, can you give us one? We, we're going to all buy the book, but just maybe give us one of the funny stories you had in the Peloton. Um, does everybody knows Jens Vogt? Yes. Yes. Um, I had him on the phone uh, uh, just before, and, and we actually uh, uh, talked about that, that story again. Uh, he was in the Tour de France and he was uh, out in the breakaway and suddenly he crashed. And then, um, well, we hear it and it was an important stage. He was going up to uh, Plateau de Bay, but he crashed and we heard clearly he's okay, he's back up. So we are just about to catch him back and he takes the next corner and he crashes again. And he landed in some kind of uh, dishes, you know, so he had all the, all the you know, from, from the bush, you know, I said... Yeah. I told him, Jens, you look like a truffle pig. Like a yeah. truffle pig, and you know, and actually he got dropped because he couldn't stop laughing anymore uh, on the bike. And uh, we talked about today because I said, hey, truffle pig, how are you? Because <laughs> he, he was ditching with the helmet, you know, into the ground like a pig searching for the truffles. And uh, yeah, that was hilarious. You know, uh, another one uh, he told us, uh, he was coming to Tour of Luxembourg one year and he was miserable. He couldn't follow the peloton anymore i said what is going on with jens you know it's not his style and in the bus he was sitting alone he didn't talk to anyone really like a depressed uh, depressed feeling he gave you know so i said no nah, i don't want to talk about it. i don't want to talk about it so we go all home you know after the race and uh, we go to Torf Swiss, and we go up the gross glockner and uh, you know it was in the beginning of the stage so you know everyone is a kind of uh, everyone is a kind of suffering but you know it's not really hard it's not really slow you know and and was this heat, you know, and suddenly uh, over the radio, um, Jens goes, so guys, you think this is hard? Are you suffering? And be like, what is he talking now? Do you think your life is hard? Are you suffering? Say, yeah, well, it's kind of sticky, sticky here, yeah? And he goes over the microphone in the radio said, 
you want to know what is a hard life? My wife is pregnant for the sixth kid. <laughs> and you, <laughs> but this, you know, a few stories out of the, the end people. <laughs> Fantastic. I think that's going to be a good seller, the book. Yeah. I should think about it. Yeah. Yes. Is there a favorite quote you have and you live by anything you feel like is really something, a sentence which defines your, your life? Um, I had always on the top tube uh, of my bikes um, one sentence. Is this, uh, don't dream your life, live your dream. Um, it's just a quote, you know, and it's sometimes really, really tough and sometimes impossible to, to follow that quote, you know. Um, but at least, you know, I keep it in mind um, because I believe it's a good quote, you know. Um, if we, you know, if we don't move, if we don't, you know, react or if we don't act, you know, if the people are today so comfortable, they always wait until tomorrow because maybe tomorrow something changed, something, you know, oh, let's leave it until tomorrow. Um, but if you don't act, you know, the day before, or the day after you wake up and everything is still the same. So I tell that a lot to students, you know, that you really, you know, don't waste your time. Um, you maybe, you know, hopefully you get a hundred years old, but you know, react and move and, you know, follow your dream and, and, and don't, you know, stay in bed uh, dreaming, but try to live it. Um, it's a small quote, but, you know, it goes uh, somewhere somehow deep and you read it. You, it's, this is, you know, easy to write, but it's hard to live. But if you don't try, you can never know. Oh, very good. I think that's a nice sentence to, to, to end the, our conversation. I think this is really, really good. Andy, I think you're a really, really cool guy. And it, I really thank you for that time. And I think you, you're a Tour de France champion, uh, but still you're a very humble person. I like how you, how you run your business. And, and when we met in Dubai, I think you have been very approachable and very nice. And when I called you, uh, you replied within seconds to say, hey, yes, I'm, I'm on. I'm, I'm happy to tell my story. And I really, really appreciate this. And um, I wish you all the best for your business. And, and hope we see us next year riding a bike. So maybe before you come for holiday, if, if travel is allowed again. And I'm happy, I'm happy to share some... Uh, some secrets of, of, of business and I'm, I'm happy to stay in contact and we exchange some information. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Wolfie. If I'm back in Dubai, I, I call you and we go and have a nice dinner together, right? Yes, yes, we will. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Thank you, Andy. Have a good evening. Um, have a nice talk on Monday. We have a very special guest uh, who is, I think, one of the legends in terms of information. Um, he's Josh Portner and he's from Silka. Um, he owns the company, but he has been in development for SIP uh, for many, many years, and he's a, a vast of knowledge he has and to share with us. So I think it's going to be an interesting story. So please join us on Monday uh, for Wolfie's Talks, uh, 7 o'clock in, in Dubai time for, uh, for the story with Josh Portner. Yeah, he has as well a very cool podcast, which is uh, Marginal Gains podcast. So that's going to be a good, a good talk as well. Thank you very much. Have a good evening, everyone. Bye-bye.